Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes. Failures are helpful. They can be painful and trying to pretend that they're not learning things that we don't need to change from them is probably like the worst case thing that you could do. Stress is the inflammation that robs us of life, energy, and happiness. Our typical solutions for gut health and hormone balance have let a lot of us down. We're over-medicated and underserved. At The Less Stressed Life, we're a community of health-savvy women exploring solutions outside of our traditional Western medicine toolbox and training to raise the bar and change our stories. Each week, our hope is that you leave our sessions inspired to learn, grow, and share these stories to raise the bar in your life and home. Access to functional or specialized medicine testing and standard blood work is a big piece of personalizing care plans to help our clients succeed. But getting accounts with multiple labs and ordering and tracking results from many different web portals slows efficiency by bogging us down in admin work. This is why I'm completely obsessed with our podcast sponsor, Rupa Health. It's a single portal that allows you to order from over 20 specialty labs in one incredibly simple dashboard. I'm talking less than 30 seconds to set up your free account and about 30 seconds to order the labs you need. All the results are in one place and I can securely send clients their results with the click of a button. A big advantage for our clients is that standard blood work can be ordered for almost two thirds less than other direct to consumer lab sites. Rupa is a lab concierge, so they send the lab invoices on your behalf if a client pays for their own labs. They help them get set up with a lab draw, navigate testing questions, and they provide the requisition forms. It's literally a dream. Go sign up for free to help streamline your practice and simplify ordering labs for your clients at rupahealth.com. That's R-U-P-A health.com. And let them know I sent you when you sign up. You can also check out the show notes for this episode for a short video walkthrough of how I use Rupa Health in my own practice. Welcome to The Lustrous Life, where we help women and families overcome fatigue, food sensitivities, and inflammation. And the goal here is really to help you heal yourself. If you find this show or episode helpful, repay the favor and share it with a friend or leave me a review on the Purple Podcast app app, if that's where you listen. I'm your host, Krista Bigler, integrative dietitian, nutritionist, and lover of all the foods and my chickens. And today I have our team's dietetic intern, Annie Romanowski. Annie has a bachelor's of science in exercise science from Taylor University in Indiana, 
And she is pursuing a master's from, I think, the University of Alabama, Birmingham, don't quote me. But she lives in my home state, which is where her husband found a job after college. And so through work connections, she was referred to me. And I do sometimes get intern requests and they're usually not very well thought out. And this was the better one I had gotten for a while. And I think the timing was just right for us. So Annie... We just got together, I think it was last week, maybe it was the week before, I think it was last week, for a couple-day team meeting and quarterly planning session. And I was kind of surprised at how much planning it takes <laughs> to actually execute a quarter properly. So I think she's seen a little different version of the business than maybe it would have been even last year, where it would have been just all back-to-back appointments all day long. One thing I have learned about Annie recently is that she's a world traveler. Her husband's family are expats from is it Qatar, right? For 15 years and they just moved back. So she had, I learned so many interesting things about her travels there in May. And we decided it would be a fun little project for her to interview me for the podcast because we are, as you heard in the last couple of episodes, we're kind of going through a, a great shift with people's workspaces and people kind of reconsidering how, what purpose they want. I think that's also like this generation wants to be a little more purpose-driven. They kind of care about purpose more. And I think just in general, the whole climate of the last couple of years has made people reconsider sometimes what they're doing for work and what are some options. And so I'll just share a little bit about my beginning. And it's nice to get the perspective, the questions from someone kind of new, curious learning that maybe I would forget to even think about or talk about. So she's giving me an opportunity to talk about those things and to try to be helpful. So welcome, Annie. Thank you. You said that well. Yeah, it's cool and inspiring to hear stories of other dietitians and how they got started and where they currently are and then where they hope to go. So going back to the beginning, how did you choose to study nutrition and dietetics and what was your original career goal at that point? Yeah. You know, a lot of people change their majors. I went into my undergraduate time as a double major in journalism and dietetics or nutrition. Oddly at University of Nebraska-Lincoln, which is where I started before I understood the lack of school reciprocity tuition, they actually had that merged. It was a bizarre, like they had these majors like doubled up. And so that's where I started. I think it was before I went to college that I was shadowing dietitians and I loved all of them. And I even had a WIC dietitian tell me, don't do this, go into like pharmacy sales (laughs) instead. She said, I would never do this again, which I thought was really interesting, but she didn't deter me at all. Question is like a longer than you probably wanted answer, but I first became interested in nutrition in this class. Was it a club or a class that used to be called FHA? And when I was in it, it was Family Career and Community Leaders of America. And we gave, and kind of like in 4-H, you give illustrated talks about things. And I gave some talks about soda and fast food. I was just increasing my education. I was like, oh, this is really interesting. I had no idea. I loved learning about it. And I was like, I got to tell people this stuff. So it really was like a illustrated talk that got my just genuinely interested in nutrition. I think we also can be the product of our home environment. And I had a mom who was like, parents are huge gardeners, were kind of homesteading before it was cool. Like they were always kind of crunchy in their own way. In As I look at them, it's not like um, we are not really similar now, but I grew up with more of a natural health mindset. And I think when I went to school for nutrition, I thought I was going to get some of that. I was always really curious and inquisitive and journalism and writing was always a thing. So to answer your question more briefly, why did I choose to study nutrition and dietetics and what was my original career goal? I thought I was going to work. I thought I was going to be a nutrition writer or a health writer, actually, because I thought that health articles online were like 
trash from what I'd read. I still don't feel any differently. And I thought I should get a degree in both of these things and write about this. And I actually did an additional as if internships aren't enough work. I was I'm sure, you know, when you're working 40 hours, then you have an extra research project and then you've got something additional. I'm always really good at shoving a hundred pounds of things into a 50 pound bag. It's a favorite new expression. I met someone, I've always been kind of a networker. I met someone, I went to FINCI, the food, I can't even tell you what it stands for. I think it's Food Nutrition Conference and Expo when I was an intern in Denver. And I met this woman who was also in St. Louis. And she, anyway, it's a funny world. I, I won't tell you where she works now, but she was the director for IFIC, International Food and Information Council. And I shouldn't be ousting exactly every name of everything, but I was interning there for a little bit writing. And I remember I wanted to write about something and they said, oh, you can't say it like that because we're funded by industry. And that was like a major eye-opener at that moment in time. I was like, oh, I can't be objective because of your sponsors? Like, that's so interesting because when I went to school for journalism, all we promoted was like, my professors were like, objectivity, objective, like you must do both sides. And so to this day, I cannot watch the news really just because I'm like, remember when journalism used to be objective? Like when I went to school, that's what you talked about. That wasn't very long ago. I do think that like that actually shifted way well before I was in journalism. I think my professors were just old school-ish. And I do think that's how it should be. But so that's kind of like a value of mine is that like you should look at both sides of things. And so that was kind of a big annoyance. And at that time, I was kind of burned out after my trip. Honestly, I really needed some time off from nutrition after that. I was also planning a wedding and got married the summer after that and was kind of having fun with that. So I never really fully... There was a couple other like writing stints I did. And then later on when I was doing contract work, there was some writing that I did, but I never fully pursued it in the exact same way after that experience. Cool. I didn't know all those details. Well, right. Why would you know all those details? I have to tell you one more little detail that I think is interesting. I think like your own self-discovery is so powerful. And I remember I did by way of connection. Most of my life is like what, who I also know, not just what you know, but who you know. When I was in college, I was working at this college business tech department and they made us do the Gallup Finder survey. I think that was my first time doing it. At that time, I was like, this is amazing. This exactly like epitomizes who I am. And it was like connection and analyzing. And I don't remember all the words, but I've got them somewhere. And I remember, I even kept them on a version of my resume for a while, but I've just been very curious and inquisitive. And that I think that can serve you in anything, but for sure it shows up in how I work with clients a million percent. It's like, oh, I see you have a little problem over here. Can we talk about that That as well? Like I, I'm like always kind of reaching in further, looking for something deeper. I like it. It's interesting that you mentioned someone trying to deter you away from nutrition because I have heard that more and more. Like my sister-in-law who wants to go to occupational therapy school, all the people she works with says, no, don't do it. Go to PA school. And she's just like, but I, I don't want to. I want to mm -hmm. do occupational therapy because that's where she feels her strengths will be best used. Mm -hmm. So if you had become a pharmacist... I, that wouldn't have worked for me personally. Different. Wouldn't have personally worked for me. But <laughs> I, you know, I think if you want to see a depressing place... And actually, that's an interesting statement because there's you can complain in every field. And I think so many fields are so similar. It's all like the same complaints. I We talked about this last week when we were together, how I feel my any physical therapist I know, they have the exact same complaints as we do in our profession, where if you work in a certain place, even like the most current research, you can't really implement because of 
what do we call it? Privileges, I suppose. But if you are in practice, you can actually implement the most current research and therapies because you're able to, because you're not kind of bound by such a large institutional organizational policies, which are just more glacial. And so they move a little bit slower on improvement. And so, but anyway, to speak to, if you want to go see something depressing, just go look in like dietitian Facebook groups online. And people ask this question all the time and everyone's got their like personal laundry they're airing all the time. And it's like, I don't regret my decision to be in this career whatsoever. Did I learn what I wanted to in college in retrospect? Did I, did the stuff I learned in college, is it everything I do now? No, but I got a solid base of intense sciences and chemistry and all these things. And experience is not something you can buy. You have to endure it. And something I've just noticed from the longevity of my education, whether it was ideal or not ideal, is that I have a little bit more of a mature sense about how to go about something than if I jumped in and did something. Like you can't jam all that into a very short amount of time. So if I'd done some eight-month certification, I've just noticed in having this discussion, it's a much less experienced point of view and less variety. I don't know. There's probably a different word for it, but I'll just use experience as the... It's like less... As you cultivate and gather experience, you become more even, you know, and not such like a crazy person. Not That's not probably the right way to say it either, but you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, you know, it's just, it, there's just a depth. So you even have a depth as from like going through exercise science that will shape how you kind of see and practice despite whether you're practicing right. that area regardless. So things right. you learn from it. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Moving forward. What was your first job after completing your internship and what did your career path look like up to the point right before you started your private practice? So I don't know what I expected, to be perfectly honest. I think I always just thought I would go to a city and I always thought I would end up in cities. And then somehow I went on this trip, this agricultural trip because of my love for fourth grade learning about South America and Machu Picchu and all these things that are kind of finally coming to true fruition 27 years later this year. But I accidentally married someone who was a farmer and so, which was not on my game plan either. I was pretty independent. Didn't anyway, just thought I was going to go to a city. I think it was just an immature, <laughs> immature thing. I actually had gone to Alaska and interviewed for a job there and it wasn't as lovely as I thought it was going to be. And so we settled in my husband's small town. I was pretty convinced that I wouldn't stay here. Like I kept all the boxes for my dishes type, not convinced I was going to stay here type thing. And I've settled it. They say anything living anywhere. It takes two years for a place to feel like home. And I do think you can probably live anywhere and still do whatever you want. Thank goodness for the internet. And sometimes people live in place, awesome places and don't do the things there anyway. But the reason that that's important is I was in a pretty small place and now, in retrospect, there's actually a lot of job opportunity. There are in this town of 500 and then maybe another town of a few hundred. I know like four or five dietitians in this essentially county area, which is a lot for the amount of people that are here. So what I originally did was I was looking for something full-time-ish. And what I fell into was someone looking for a contract dietitian in an underserved population in the middle of nowhere. Turns out, if you just know people, there's a lot of opportunities like that. Like contract, there's a tons of opportunity for contract work. In fact, the right people will tell you this for sure. Like there's a huge, huge need for it. So I was a contractor. So I worked at a dialysis unit on the reservation for actually eight years. It was not something I ever thought I would like, right? Like you're like, oh, I want to work in like this chronic disease state. Here are the silver linings for that. 
So that's one situation where like you're in kind of regular medicine where what you do is like actually really important. Like these people are going to like maybe have a heart attack if they aren't following nutrition recommendations. It's like really serious. But also you have a rapport and you don't have to like in an outpatient setting, Often things that people don't talk about, sometimes in an outpatient setting, I think you've also experienced this, there can be no-show rates where people just don't show up for appointments, which like makes you prepare. And then it's like a very anticlimactic when that happens. In a situation like that, in dialysis, where people are kind of captive and they're always coming back, like have as many interactions as you want with them. You can see them as long as you want. If someone had a death in the family that day, which was really common, you know, we can talk about something different that day. And then the next time I'm back, we can get to, you know, what we need to get to. So there was relationships, rapport, able to see people when you kind of desired. So it was just interesting work-life things that you wouldn't have guessed that you would enjoy, right? And if you have a relationship, good relationship with people, it does provide some purpose. So I just want to point those things out because, you know, as an intern, I was like, "Eh, I have no interest in this (laughs) typically, but it was actually very lab-driven and what we were doing. So I was very good at like reading labs. And so, and that's not something that you're doing all the time in every single area of dietetics as much, I think, as as in those people who have got a lot of big chronic issues. So that's where I started. And then I did a variety of other things. And the Department of Education found out I was in the middle of nowhere. And they were like, hey, we could use someone to go to those schools in the middle of nowhere. It was when I don't remember what this was called, but there was a lot of nutrition recommendations coming down for school nutrition. And so turns out school nutrition is nothing like what you learn in college. I had to go to like a whole primer, like a week-long training to understand school nutrition. It's like its own language. And so I basically went in and did reviews in different schools of their lunch programs. They're supposed to be reviewed, I don't know, however many years, but like with many government programs, you get around to when you can get around to. And I think they had to have an extra review when all that stuff was going into play. And I think as administrations have changed, those rules have probably changed. So it's doing Department of Ed contracting, Dallas is contracting. And I'll just mention, I was growing a family at that time. I was having babies. And, and so the flexibility of those things was really lovely. And in contract work, you get paid more than you do in full-time work per hour. And so it really was like, it really created, like, it really opened my eyes to like a different way. I think when you're in school, it's like you're primed and primed and primed, especially by the previous generation. Like you go to work, you go to work all these hours, you go to work forever, which I was always kind of nervous about doing the same thing forever and ever. You get your benefits and that's how it is. And so by chance, you know, and by need, ended up in contract work, which really worked well for me because I got to have a flexible schedule, have relationships with clients. And then I picked up some other, I did some other contracts over the years, worked for a fitness celebrity, did some writing for a microbiome company for a little bit. And what pushed me into private practice, I think you asked what did things look like up until private practice? That got a little accidental. There was always like this like comfortable discontent of like, I think I need to do more things. You know how Facebook memories, you probably wouldn't know this, but Facebook came out basically the year I went to college. And so there was a lot of things that we wrote on that back then. And so those memories show up now. And even like when I was graduating college, I had written on someone's wall like... I feel like I need to go to a conference about blah, blah, blah this weekend. I'm feeling a little like, you know, when you like aired all your laundry to everyone, you're like, I'll just write this on my friend's wall publicly. And so that when that pops up 10 years later, it's like, oh, I guess it's funny how like these things come full circle. You have these little inklings and then that's how it's going to be. So how I kind of accidentally ended up in private practice was I'd bought a training about an integrative approach around, honestly, food sensitivities. And so one of the mentors like reached out to me and said, there's no one that does this in your state. And we have some clients that are reaching out and looking for someone. Do you think you can maybe finish your training and do this? <laughs> and I was like, 
yeah, maybe I could do that. I could probably get on that this month and and do that training. So anyway, that's kind of how that happened accidentally. And I could go from there, but that's, that's where it started. Like someone tapped on my shoulder and was like, remember when you wanted to do this? The door is open. You should walk through it. Okay. That goes into my next question pretty well. You kind of touched on it, but so what made you want to pursue a more integrative approach to nutrition? You mentioned you took a course about it, but what is it that encouraged or inspired you to take a course on integrative nutrition? Well, I think it was already part of my makeup. So as I mentioned earlier, like very different than what I do, but I grew up in a family that was like, oh, you don't have to go to the doctor if you have a sniffle. Let's think about what else we could do. So I think that actual upbringing probably changed how I thought about things. And so I sought out health conscious, you know, I think like even my clients now will commonly be nutrition professionals or other health professionals. We just have an interest in health. And so as we're having interest in health, I wouldn't have called it functional or integrative or whatever. I actually had a kind of a skewed perception of what those meant. And I had dabbled in other natural healers that I would call more alternative as a result of meeting my husband and his own alternative medicine journey for like long-term headaches and just things that had popped up for him. And so that I was very curious about what we could do about those things. So I was getting exposure to some of the people he had seen. Like I'd never been to a chiropractor in my entire life until I met my husband because I didn't grow up going to one technically actually. And my anatomy professor in college would basically badmouth them like a lot. And he's still there. I was touring the college with my with my daughter last year and walked by his classroom and had some insane deja vu. <laughs> so you know, I think like just being open-minded and being exposed, but I will say that integrative is really a blend of East and West. It's still evidence-based, it's tangible, there's lab values. And I have a lot to say about, there's a lot of spiraling on both of those sides, but it's not alternative. Alternative is a little bit different. There's a lot of different alternative therapies. So I, I had some exposure to that. And actually one of my husband's chiropractors has suggested I go to basically kind of an alternative medicine training as well. And I felt like a fish out of water. I remember we went, I think the the day after we got married, I think we drove to Florida. I think I'd gone to a pre-training like for a weekend in Missouri. And then we drove to Florida I went to this longer conference. It just totally felt like a fish out of water because I was surrounded by chiropractors. And so we didn't have a common background. And when they were doing the training, there wasn't a lot of, it wasn't right or wrong. It's just how they did it. And I realized that you figure out what you don't like by experiencing it. And so they didn't really talk about like the science behind it or how it worked. They're just like, just tell people it works. And I was like, yeah, actually, no. <laughs> like I want to understand how things work so that I want to do them, right? Like I really want, and that's how I practice now. It's like, I want you to understand what you're doing, not just be told what to do. It's very important for me to have you understand your body. Otherwise, we're just not even a good fit, right? If you're just looking for someone to solve your problem and do it for you, it's probably not going to work out. I actually like just writing a message to a client that kind of has that mentality. I'm like, this isn't a good choice. Like you want someone to figure it out for you. And it's more of a partnership. Like I'm facilitating some learning. So I forgot about these details, but it's kind of an exposure to things you didn't like shapes how I practice now, which I think is important. And through that experience, I learned what integrative was. There is actually an entire pocket (laughs) section of the world of like our profession that's integrative and functional. And there is an entire, it's actually the biggest dietetic practice group in the Academy of Dietetic Association. So all these things I didn't know. And when I finally found these people, I was like, these are my people. I love these people. I love traveling with dietitians. We love to eat delicious food. 
it's the best. Like we are like, that is what we plan our day around. And that's kind of how I think. I usually am thinking like, what delicious thing could I eat next? And so that a lot of us are like that. And so finding, so when I was at the conference with chiropractors, I just felt like I didn't feel, there was, I think that professions dominated by men potentially too. And that might've been part of it and our professions dominated by women. So maybe that's also part of it. It's not right or wrong. It's just now that I reflect on it and I have like a very close friend that's a chiropractor and I don't think of her as an uncomfortable person to be around. (laughs) I just think that it's possible of who I was around and kind of how they were conducting themselves. So I think I never really thought it was integrative. I think I thought like, I don't know, I guess when you go to school for dietetics, you're not learning the stuff that I am practicing now exactly. It is part of the education buried in there somewhere. It's just not, you actually get a little more pharmacology. You know, if you're doing tube feed stuff, it's not right or wrong. It's just like I am, what I'm doing now is a little more proactive and it's addressing deficiencies and other things. And so I think that feels like it should be that way to me. So it just feels like what my education should have been. So I just am making it into what I feel like it should have been. That's just maybe how I perceive it. That makes sense. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to intern with you was because I am not learning some of the things that I was hoping I'd be learning in my education because it's a more integrative approach to nutrition. And like you said, some of it is buried in the education somewhere. Like I think I picked up on some of it in when I took nutritional biochem, mm-hmm. but I have not been able to make sense of it until I have seen it in practice. Um, yeah. I know. I wish I could go back and take a nutritional biochem. I feel like I, I feel like in practice and as I continue to learn, I'm literally doing nutritional biochem stuff now time, you know, yeah. caring about iron recycling. That's like deep in the, that's always been there. That is literally just biochemistry, but we don't practice like that, you know? So right. it's not right around. And I, you know, I, I forget we have different education. We went to different schools, but my biochem was not nutritional biochem, even though biochem is like mostly nutrition. And so I really, that was feedback we had given to our director was that we really think that that should have been a little more streamlined. And it's a cost thing. They're like, here, be in a class with like hundreds of people, not with 50 people that's more targeted. And I don't know if they've changed that at our university level, but the biochem is like an amazing class for our area. And it is, I would say that by, you know, as I, let me just give you an example. So everyone knows what I'm talking about. Just the farther along in practice, the more dissatisfied I just it's like a continual boredom or dissatisfaction with how things are sometimes. And so I'm always asking, like, if you have a deficiency, why do you have it? And so you've heard me talk about this already in the week you've been with us. It's like elementary to say my iron is low. Let's just take iron. It's like, we're actually a little more interesting than that. And so there's a whole lot of cofactors that help that work. I mean, the same story for thyroid, the same story for all kinds of things. It's not quite as simple as like, I have a deficiency, take this, even though if at least we could apply that elementary principle, we could still have people feeling better. You know, if we could check B12 more than once in every blue moon and the reference ranges weren't based on the current population, which isn't really that healthy. I've been like appalled at how the reference range for B12 over the years of practice has just slowly like eked down. I'm like, this used to be 350 and now the lower level is like 250. So anyway, side notes, but that's just what, you know, anyway, that's what I have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you mentioned your private practice sort of started as an accident, but what did those early days look like? Mm -hmm. and kind of more the practical side, how did it get started? Yeah, that's a really good question. Because I think that you can't jump to, 
I don't know if we've talked about this recently. I think I talked about it in the roundtable discussion that was published last week, but you have to be able to have some kind of system to help people get a result with something. And so when I did this dietitian based food sensitivity training, which by the way, on Instagram, I've had my audience, like 80 some percent of my audience say, I feel like I have food sensitivities. And do we have some mainstream approach for this? No, we do not. I do not think we do. So, and I'm pretty certain. I even I've had an old professor send me a message like, "I have this client, she's got this going on." And it's like people really don't know anything about this, right? So that's a whole different conversation for a different day, but I went into it like probably anyone who's like, "Oh, well, I think this is a problem. I see it in people. I might even see it in myself a little bit." So I did this training, understood all these things about foods and food patterns and food families that I had no idea even existed, and antigens and the immunology behind allergies, sensitivities, and tolerances, and all of that kind of stuff. And then I just needed some guinea pigs, you know. So I shared an office where I worked, and there was a woman there that had a lot of like GIs distress. And so I just had her pay for the test and we went through this process and it was a miraculous for her. She felt so much better. And I was like, well, that was addicting. That was like a dopamine hit of an improvement in like two weeks. And I will say like real quick, I now know you can't just stop there. And that's like how we are in medicine. We actually fuel this instantaneous gratification stuff in medicine without realizing it. So she was better but you actually have to go in and do some different gut microbiota changes and improvements after that fact, if that would be a process you would follow. Or otherwise, sometimes you can get into unnecessary food limitations, new sensitivities because you didn't actually... You removed... I call it you used crutches or you sat down on a broken ankle, but you didn't actually fix the broken ankle is the simplest way to say it. So... All of a sudden you like sat down, you're like, wow, that feels amazing. I feel so much better now that I'm not walking around a broken ankle, but you still have to fix it. And so there's some things to do after the fact. However, I just wanted to give that caveat. So what was nice about that program, it was like really low priced. And the mentor that I had, so I had a mentor in that program and she basically got paid a commission on the test that my clients ordered. So I didn't pay her directly. The lab paid her to be a mentor. And that was a, probably a pretty good model. Kind of actually wish some other labs would do that in retrospect now that I think about it because she was a great mentor until I outgrew her. And so I learned a lot. And she told me to get on a website called Health Profs. And Health Profs is just a listing. I think it's like $30 a month with the first six months are free. And that allows people to like search for a nutritionist or a specialty in the zip code and you'll pop up right away in the search results. So what I remember happening next was that I had some people find me that way. I had some people find me in a Facebook group because I had presented about different immunology concepts between sensitivities and allergies. And so I just started, as we talked about in an episode last week, just started getting reps. I said yes to everything that like was under the list of things that I could potentially help from my current training. And then I figured out that my current training, like it was perfect. And I say this, this is how I say it. I'm like, I think God gives you what you can handle at the time. And I was like doing fine and wonderful with that. And then all of a sudden it wasn't enough. And actually it came up as not enough with like my husband's case. He was like, I don't feel any different on this. I was like, whatever, everyone else does. Everyone else does. That's also when I learned I don't want my family to be my clients. So not recommended. So that was when I started adding in other testing. I had also learned from my mentor that like comprehensive micronutrient testing could be helpful. That was super fun and really fulfilling also at that time. It was mostly covered by insurance. It was like $200 out of pocket, which by contrast is not much in my opinion. Everyone's got a different opinion about what could be a lot, but not much for what I told you and the changes it made in people's lives. So I just added on as I 
had the capacity or the bandwidth to add on. And it was cool. And I like started to figure it out. And I also, otherwise it was important for me. I was digging for stuff. I was like, it felt like there was pieces missing. Remember how I just told you that you can make these food changes, but it's not the last piece. It's like getting stuck in the remove phase of the integrator process. And a few episodes ago, I go over this, like how to start healing. And I kind of go over that integrator process, but that was a big thing too. Learning that there was kind of a framework you could put things through or a lens you could put things through with your own spin on it. And I will also say that I saw my clients a lot and listened like crazy, like a very curious detective. And I identified a lot of patterns. And so people will say, well, where did you go to training to learn blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, I just figured it out as I went. Because at that time, there wasn't as many training programs as there are now. There are some excellent ones. There's like the ones that have always been there. There's like two that have always been out there. And then I have a couple of friends that do some good ones. So there's plenty of opportunities to kind of like get a shortcut for this now, to be perfectly honest. But my approach was got in reps. I was like, oh, this worked. But now it's not working. Why isn't it working? What could I add to it? And then I spent some time learning about the integrator process and taking some training, just seeking out education for when I had a gap. And also I had, there was like a naturopathic mentor that I would hire occasionally as well to help me through some stuff that was a little bit harder or not as obvious to me also. So that's kind of what that looked like. I just continued to take clients, was obsessed with like the results piece of it, which is like positive negative a little bit because you actually can't take responsibility for everything. Sometimes people have to take responsibility for execution. That's a really hard one. But yeah, I just started somewhere and then just continued to figure out and sought mentorship. So mentorship is really nice in some capacity. So you've done like a lot of your own research and learning and seeking coaches and mentors, but in your practice, which is more integrative of Eastern and Western medicine. How do you stay up to date with the latest research in nutrition? Yeah. So my research takes the slant of the stuff that I'm interested in. So sometimes like yesterday, I was doing a podcast interview with a friend and I was in PubMed looking at circadian rhythm research. And I, I'm going to, I am going to bash something really quickly <laughs> because it needs to be done. Cause that's how you improve. And not that I think anyone will hear this, that we can make this improvement. But I used to get the journal from the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. And most people will say like the research in there is not very impressive. It's just like in Southeast Asian countries, children did not like leftovers. I mean, that's like literally the kind of research that comes out of it. It's just not like that good. So I will say I don't do that. I wish there was some good. I used to get like some of those research emails, but I want to mention some things about this because this is a common question. I'm like, how do you stay up to date with the latest research in nutrition? Well, research takes 17 years to come into practice just fine, which is good. I like to, my preferred method of learning is like live conferences and things like that. So I actually like until the last couple of years and now my fall looks pretty busy, but I went to conferences a lot and I went to a lot of that stuff. And you'll see that people are bringing and culminating research and bringing it to the forefront. So that was really fun. So I took classes either online or live conferences because that's what I liked. Mentorship, searching PubMed. And then I wanted to mention what evidence-based research was because I think sometimes this is actually really important for us to differentiate what is evidence. It's a Venn diagram of three things. It's the best available evidence peer-reviewed, lit review, whatever, the best available evidence, plus your own experience, our expertise. So what I've learned from clients, which is really helpful because what matters the most is what helps them, not exactly what's in the current research. I actually think people just want their problems resolved more than being mansplained about like research. So I have feelings about that. And also 
what the customers, so my experience plus their own experience, which is why I think that awareness step of the first part of our process, like them understanding their own history and piecing that together is a huge piece of their own evidence and their own pieces. So I wanted to get on a little soapbox about like what that could all mean. Cause it doesn't always look like, even though we're doing a much better job, I think in our undergraduate education now with like reading and doing lit reviews and things, we weren't doing a very good job when I was going to college about that. But that's kind of what I wanted to share there is that's my preference on how I gain and expand knowledge. Cool. That's good. Okay. Being a advocate for a less stressed life and owning your own private practice, which requires drive and a love of success. How do you maintain work-life balance? So the most toxic thing is not thinking that you have any stress for sure. But the simple things would be boundaries, constantly reevaluating what's working and not working, honestly, because once you like are in the weeds and you're doing a bunch of stuff, you need to like back up and zoom out and say, what's working, not working. I have a little practice for this where I write a line down the middle of a piece of paper and say like, what is really draining me right now? And what is giving me a lot of life right now? And so that helps me say like, oh, what are like the consistent problem areas? And do I even have to do these things that are draining me? Or do I have an option to get rid of some of those things? So boundaries, I mean, it's such a big topic to have boundaries, right? So like turning off notifications is huge. Setting up expectations with all relationships is really big. That's usually where I've, anytime I've gotten into trouble where, and, and you have to learn from it. Like you have to have some bad experience somewhere to change a policy or to change a process because you just don't want to repeat that experience. And that's just because like humans are humans. So people have very interesting ways and in how they approach life. And sometimes, you know, that's just how things are. So sometimes you encounter someone who's like not the nicest person or kind of had an unusual, ex- like they kind of went about something kind of unusual. And then you take that information. You're like, hmm, that was bizarre. Let me go ahead and like write into policies how this should have gone, you know, because you don't know something is wrong sometimes until you change it. But boundaries, for sure, I would say I've spent a ton of time now identifying like what my ideal schedule is, like what is too many client load for the day. It took me years to like evaluate that. I was like, I'm fine. I can do it all. I got everything. And that was pretty toxic. But, you know, that was helpful. I looked at some labs and I was like, oh, my labs say I'm actually kind of stressed. Huh. That is a bummer. So I thought I was doing fine. <laughs> but it's unfortunately not. Yeah, there you have to kind of have a ton. You have to continue to cultivate a ton of self-awareness for sure. Because if you don't, I wouldn't have known that like talking fast was a stressor for me. It was dumping my nutrients out. Okay. This one is sort of like a reflection question, but also related to your private practice. For those that are skeptical of an integrative approach to nutrition, my husband being one of those people. What would you communicate to them about your approach to nutrition and health? Not necessarily to convince them otherwise, but to just encourage an open mind to yeah. something different. Well, I have to try to bring myself to be in their shoes and I have to think about some of my early experiences with what I thought was functional medicine. And it wasn't. It was like you go somewhere. They did some energy medicine. It was $700 of supplements. You came back, you got all new ones next month. I thought that's what functional medicine was from early exposure. And I don't think it should be. That's not what it is. There's a lot of like gray area flavors. So I think that's piece of it. The simplest way to go about this or to navigate this conversation is we don't really like what we don't know or understand, which sounds kind of mean, but that's just how it is. We don't like anything we don't understand. We're like, oh, that's an uncomfortable thing. I think often... 
I think people complain a ton about people who aren't open-minded, quote unquote, open-minded to different types of practice. But I think what you will see is that those that are open-minded, it's because they have seen proof somewhere. And so, or they have had their own experience. So if you have an MD that's got, that's open-minded, she's probably got some personal experience that has helped create that for her. We're all formed by our own experiences. And that's just that. So my experiences are that I like to, I see what changes are happening in my clients' lives that they could not be getting otherwise, or that they have been getting failed by for, from both, unfortunately, conventional and functional medicine. I get a lot of people dropping out of other functional medicine practices because I've, we've also got practitioners that have been conventional and still kind of like using a lot of conventional type medicine in a labeled functional medicine practice. And so that's a whole conversation for another day. It's just like, again, the gray area, the nuance to it, where it's like, oh, that's what's going on here where it's not working for them. So for me, I can see how things work and I see them working. That's what I need for purpose. So like, it doesn't really bother me that your husband doesn't think, you know, of course, or any specific person, it wouldn't bother me if someone's skeptical. It's just limited by their own experiences at this time. So maybe at some point they'll have some experience that will like change how they feel about something. Isn't that how we could apply to any specific experience in our lives, right? Yeah, that's a good reminder to take the perspective of the other person, even in disagreement, coming from someone that likes to be angry and likes to argue, especially for things Enneagram that I care about. <laughs> what was that? Enneagram 8 Enne- problems. Yeah. They Enneagram love to problems. fight for the underdog. <laughs> go big or go home. I love, I'm, I want to be a, like, you want to be a leader. And yeah, I understand I'm married to so, I I needed to hear that little nugget of truth to Take the perspective of someone else. Yeah. Okay. Looking at the big picture of your career, what are your future goals as a dietitian? So a big transition for me this year was I went from kind of doing everything, what I would call being a solopreneur, where I was kind of, it was just kind of about me and what I had going on with some people that were assisting. And now it's more of a team approach. And now we're here for a bigger mission and core values and things like that. So thinking about it in a perspective of we've got our small agile team and everyone's an equal partner and everyone's like work-life balance is valuable. Like we care about the whole team as a bigger picture and what our bigger mission and purpose is in the world. And you kind of get to that point where it's like, well, I need this to feel like a little bit bigger than myself. So in that note, like where you'll see that we are just constantly readjusting programming to help people more efficiently and just like staying in our lane and doing a good job, like continually trying to help people like get good results and not going backwards. And then there'll also be kind of a split where I'm doing more podcasting. So I've been around podcasting for a long time, but I relied a lot more on interviews and not really on much for solo episodes. And I think that there is a lot to share from my experience, like many, several years of experience in private practice to share with others so that they can be inspired, know that there's always options. And so I just feel like the podcast is a a place uh, where I can be generous and I'm able to be at this stage, maybe have some retreats in the future, that that's kind of like the direction that we're going is a little bit of, it's like part client facing stuff, but then also a little bit bigger piece in the podcast because it's a platform or a, a area where I can share messaging that I think is important, kind of like your previous question. That sounds so fun. I think Um, it does. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the thing. It's like, well, what are we really doing if we're not enjoying, like if we're not? And so 
I will say that there's like you can create this thing called a vision board, right? The last time I created like a real solid vision board was like 2017. And I think I have everything from that vision board now. So I really should create another one, honestly. But I have set up, you know, I have like some small peer groups that were, you know, that we, I call it, we grow up together in business and it's kind of fun. And so, and I would encourage people to develop their own peer groups. It's funny how like all of, like my first version of a peer group was when I met Ashley Sweeney in a Facebook group. We like, we were both following some dietitians from Canada doing like some kind of business training. I mean, it was, I think it was 2016. And we like met up in a Facebook group and then we became accountability partners. And then she went to work for her cousin who was a big fitness, like a, a celebrity anyway. And then I went to work there. And then my friends now that I still hang out with, they were also working there in 2017. So it's just really funny how things work. Okay. So reflecting on your career and how it's evolved. And I should say before I ask that the past last week, I only spent a couple of days with you, but it was really evident that you're perfectly okay with embracing your humanity and how things change and how mistakes are made. And you're like, we'll just roll with it and we'll learn from it. But reflecting on your career and how it's evolved, is there anything that you regret or would have done differently? I would say the only things would maybe be implementing any boundaries earlier. But again, I think you have to like learn every time you need to implement them unless someone can point that out to you. Mindset coaching probably earlier. I did some... That's the best way for me to describe it. It doesn't sound as cool as I think it was, but every single session I'd left feeling better. My nervous system literally felt better. I got different perspectives every single week. And I was like, I don't need to talk to you every week. But every week for six months, I talked to this coach and it was so helpful in calming my nervous system and just like working through the baloney that goes on in our brain, like the hamster wheels in our brain that you don't even realize are going. I just would like dump that out and she would organize it like through her own coaching lens or process. And then it was like, fine, it's all good. She has so many mantras. I still that go through my head, like there are no problems. Everything is figure outable, right? And she probably didn't make that up. I've heard that other places, but I would say that overall, like, yeah, if I could implement those earlier, whatever, but everything has evolved fairly quickly and all failures help. And I even tell clients that like all negative, like, or adverse reactions or symptoms or things that are happening in your body are good things because they help teach you something new. If you don't have something pointed out to you, how can you fix it or change it? Like, I mean, are we really going to reach some peak You know, like we're just going to keep learning and experiencing and learning lessons. One of my most recent coaches was making like a big point about something I was like trying to forget about. (laughs) I was like, I just want to move past that and move on. She's like, no, you have to learn the lesson from it or you're going to continue to try to get the same damn lesson in your life. I was like, I think she's right. I think I've already been trying to teach that lesson. I think life's already been trying to teach me that lesson like three times this year. So, I mean, failures are helpful. They can be painful and trying to pretend that they're not learning things that we don't need to change from them is probably like the worst case thing that you could do. So I don't know. I mean, do you really change anything? Probably. <laughs> oh, one thing maybe I would change was I worked through my maternity leaves because I was a contractor and it, there was like a big blur. And I wish I could go back and have that time actually just to like hang out. At the time I was kind of like just trying to do everything, you know? So, but that would be one thing. I do have that regret. Like I wish I had to spend a little more time enjoying a maternity leave. Thinking about just having a pretend maternity leave in the near future. It's a good idea. Put that on my next vision board. (laughs) That's good. I think those are helpful things to hear for people. Okay, last question. As a dietetic intern, specifically as your dietetic intern, 
What is your best advice on how to maintain a lustrous life while in a dietetic internship? Yeah. I mean, I definitely remember the dietetic internship was very stressful for me. (laughs) It was actually like I was cruising, doing awesome in life and then went to my internship. And it was a hard thing because I was like halfway across the country and planning a wedding and it was just a challenge. So I think the first step to everything is awareness. And that's where we get into trouble. And like I just told you, I was trying to shove a lesson under the carpet and move on. But you have to stop and like feel into it a little bit. And so, and I'll also tell you, it was maybe a year ago when I got some mineral labs and it was like, huh, these look terrible. These look terrible. And I wouldn't have guessed that that would look terrible. So those are some tangible ways I've looked for awareness, but awareness shows up in many options. I always like a lot of questionnaires for awareness, having a lot of self-awareness. I love using something like, I know you lit up when you were talking about the disc last week. I speak Enneagram. That helps me a ton understanding other people in relationships that sometimes otherwise would be kind of strained because we all have our unique makeup. So that's been really helpful in just having awareness with other people. I would say nature and unplugged time, right? And boundaries. And I think some of the reasons I even struggle today with some things is because old habits die hard. And so just having more disconnected time to like recharge so that way you feel good is very important. So having normal hours and not always, I mean, I worked like all kinds of crazy hours for a long time and I'm kind of have really pretty much abandoned that almost completely now. So that feels really good. So this goes back to self-awareness. Just pay attention to the things that are kind of weighing on you so you can deal with them in some capacity, whether you need to like talk to a friend or someone who's like more of an expert. I would say there's a lot of like really talented coaches and mindset coaches and you will hopefully get exposed to that while you're here. It sounds like I've got someone coming in to do some guest speaking. For me, a self-awareness, a really helpful self-awareness thing was paying attention to my heart rate. Pay attention to the inner versions of yourself. Uh, These are like all discoveries this year. So these are the top on my mind. But I had one coach say like, well, what would be a name for this person? What would be a name for this kind of person? What would be a name for this person? So my people pleaser is Richard. And so (laughs) I'm always complaining about Richard. Dang people pleaser. Because we all have aspects or versions of that. And I mean, those are some things. I don't think there's like one size fits all, right? But I think a lot of it could boil down to the same things that you have to take into your practical world, which is boundaries, turning off notifications, having a lot of awareness, unplugging, because that will give you um, some resilience. Like 15 minutes in nature gives you resilience. And I think the biggest thing that can happen to anyone, no matter what your profession, is that you kind of start to put yourself behind everybody else's stuff, which is, again, people-pleasing. And that's where I've always struggled is like, okay, I need to not put my own care, even if I think I'm not behind everything else. So constant reassessment would be my suggestion. So I don't know. There's a lot of things I know this week when you were getting started, I suggested, you know, your to-do list looks long. And something we're paying a lot of attention to is that everything just takes a lot longer than you think it's going to take. So and not that we don't know that, but it's harder when you're trying to like live it out. And so I'd recommended that you kind of blocked off some spaces and try to like fill it in. But yeah, I don't know. What is your thought so far? Because you are, I don't know how far, I think you said this was your first rotation, but you previously were working yeah. kind of sort of as like a dietetic assistant or a diet tech for two years before. So I don't know if we even have anything we could, but like, I would be curious to hear from you. What has been your experience so far on like work-life balance and trying to reduce stress from your perspective, especially someone who's gone to work and now has essentially gone back to school and you're trying to do both things, working and going to school at the same time. <laughs> How's that going? Good. I mean, so I'm not working now. I'm just doing 
classes in internship. But prior, when I was working and doing classes, I was only working two days a week and my hours were great. They were like 7 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. And it was only two days a week. So I pretty much just dedicated three to four days a week to classes and then working two days a week. And that truthfully did not feel very hard. I mean, there were weeks where I was busier and more stressed and nutritional biochemistry was made me cry a few times because it was so hard. But (laughs) that was probably the most stressful experience I've had so far in graduate school. And this past summer, I had no classes. So I could tell that my level of stress had decreased significantly. So meeting last week and this week has been interesting because I just have been out of the groove for so long. It feels like that all of a sudden I'm back in it full swing and I can tell that I'm like zoned in, but I can also feel, you know, the wired and tired feelings because I'm just running on stress. But it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't feel bad, which maybe that's not a good thing. Um. Right. No, this is the thing. It's like stopping and being self-aware. And I will mention that I have seen many times people go from corporate stuff to working at home. I'm guessing a lot of people felt like this a couple of years ago. And it feels like you're like a slightly lost for a moment. And I looked forward. I was kind of ready for my kids to go back to school from a little bit more of a, a structure will give you freedom. And so it feels funny, but what you just described, you were time blocking. You were doing work at the hospital two days. And then you were doing these things the other days. It just depends on like when you have like a little more freedom on the calendar. Sometimes we slip on our own time blocks, which is the most challenging. And as an elder at this stage, you know, I'm paying attention to consistency, circadian rhythm, whether I feel exhausted by the end of the day and just kind of paying attention to all of those things as well. And just yeah, it is boiled now into stopping and reassessing and just being like, well, what was work well? And I can guess, like I went through college as a person who just loved, this is a toxic thing that should have been my first clue, but I would say I love deadlines, just love deadlines, love thriving on deadlines. And so I'm trying to get back and like get things done more in advance, which was not a talent that I grew up with <laughs> or that I knew anything about. So, well, Annie, thank you so much for your interview today. Can you imagine that I was able to talk this long, I can apologize to (laughs) listeners and I hope that they find it helpful. Any last words or thoughts? Well, one more thought. It's been fun for me this past week because I now have like this less stressed mantra going through my head all the time where when I plan things, even just my day-to-day schedule, but like we have a couple weddings next month and I felt so stressed on how and if I was going to be able to go to them. But in my head, I'm like, okay, what is the least stressful way I can go about this? Mm. And it's really made a difference in my mental state this week. Yes. (laughs) That's like a great version to put in through this. Like if this was not difficult or if I was going to take like the path of least resistance, I don't know if you heard us talking about that. Like people, we accidentally catastrophize a lot. We're like, oh my gosh, what if I can't do this? And I was like, you know, like what if I could? It's a great question. I mean, that's one way to think about it is that's the empowered state, not the disempowered. The disempowered state is, oh my gosh, can't do this. And the empowered state is like, "Mm, what if I can? And if I can't, maybe that's just like a choice. It's like, oh, I choose not to. So anyway. All right. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your story. Sharing and reviewing this podcast is the best way to help us succeed with our mission to help integrate the best of East and West and empower you to raise the bar on your health story. Just go to reviewthispodcast.com forward slash less stressed life. That's reviewthispodcast.com forward slash less stressed life. And you'll be taken directly to a page where you can insert your review and hit post.